one-timers. Getting to know the guest of Sports and More, the podcast, just a little bit more. Eric DeHatchik of The Athletic, are you ready for one-timers? Let's go. All righty. Your favorite two sports growing up? As a kid, uh, I played a ton of hockey and I played a ton of baseball. And then as, as a teenager, I switched to tennis. And tennis is still the sport that I, I play into my dotage. <laughs> favorite team and athlete as a kid? So I grew up cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And like just about every kid of that era, Dave Keon was my favorite player. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's such a leaf legend of so many, so many legends on that team. He stands out for so many people in that era. Yeah, and what I would tell you is that, you know, like I, I, he was my favorite player, but Frank Mahovlich, because he also had a very funny sounding last name. Right. And at, at that time, growing up in Toronto with a funny sounding last name like Duhacek, um, it, it gave me the confidence that, that, it didn't matter, you know, that if you if you did well at whatever you, you did, it didn't matter, you know, that people couldn't pronounce your last name. So Frank Mahovlich was kind of influential for me, but but not as a player, more as a role model. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. Did you have an athlete and a team that you despised as a kid? You know, I, I thought about that because you tipped me off that you would be asking me this question. The answer is no, I, I really didn't. Um, I had kind of a reverence for sport as, as a kid. And so, you know, like, for example, I was, a, you know, a big Leafs fan, but I didn't hate the Detroit Red Wings when they, you know, when they played them in the playoffs in, in 64. I, I, I you know, I, I had a lot of respect for, for all athletes. I, I don't I don't ever remember like like hating, hating teams and or hating individual players. Yeah, for me, it was the, the Flames because I grew up an Oilers fan. But this is strange. <laughs> Grant Fuhrer, because I was such an Andy Moog fan. In fact, I'm watching yeah. game one of the 88 final, and it crushes me because Moog could never beat the Oilers when he was in Boston. But every time I went to Winnipeg to watch the Oilers, Grant Fuhrer played. I never got to see Moog. That's why I didn't like Grant Fuhrer, for pure childish <laughs> reasons. Yeah, and I, I get that. I, I, I honestly, I went through my memory bank and started thinking. Okay, was there was there somebody like a villain? Like I, I was a, I was a big baseball fan. There was a, I was a Detroit Tigers fan right. because, uh, for a lot of reasons. But 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 I didn't hate the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, and I didn't hate Bob Gibson, you know. Like I, I just respected him because he was so good, and he was the guy that was standing in our way. But but it wasn't hate, you know. It was just I, I was cheering for the other guys. For sure. What did you want to be when you were young? Well, uh, it, uh, actually, the, the truth is I wanted to be a sports writer because I knew that like, I was obsessed by sports. School was really easy for me as a kid, eventually, um, but, but sports were hard. And, and so the thing that I, like, I had to work hard to get good at sports. And, uh, and I was constantly, you know, I mean, we were, we played, growing up in Toronto where I, where I grew up, we played hockey, we played baseball, and we played football. Those were the three sports. There was no basketball, no soccer, and then eventually as you get older, different uh, individual sports, and, and I became a, a runner too. But, um, but I always knew that I couldn't make it as a professional athlete. But at a certain point in my life, I thought I could make it as a as a writer, and so I could produce a, a thing I wrote in grade nine English for Mr. O'Reilly that said, you know, I want to be a sports writer. I knew it was probably a long shot, but that was my goal. And you know, lo and behold, by hook or by crook, I became that person, and I've made a forty-two year career out of it. So. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, uh, but that's what I wanted to do, and, and that's what I ended up doing. Beautiful. If you could be a pro in any sport, what sport would it be? Uh, no question, it would be tennis. 
Yeah. How about if you could live one athlete's life? Is there one athlete out there that you you would say, I would love to have been that guy? Roger Federer. Yeah. <laughs> so you're starting to see a theme here, probably. But but you know, I was thinking, I was watching a, a, a 60 minute feature on Rafael Nadal and uh, the complex he has in Mallorca, and. Uh, you know, if not better, <laughs> I would switch to Nadal in a minute. Nice. Uh, listen, you have watched a lot of cool sports moments. Do you have a favorite moment that you witnessed live? Yeah, actually, I, I do. And it was uh, it, it was uh, it was the 1987 Izvestia tournament in Moscow. Mm. So two months after the Canada Cup tournament that, that everybody's been watching lately, um, I, you know, the, because the Olympics were coming to Calgary in 1988. I went off the flame speed in December and, and traveled full-time with the Canadian Olympic team that was based in Calgary. And so part of that was going to Russia for the Izvestia tournament, which was like effectively the pre-Olympic tournament. And that was a team that had Sean Burke, uh, Zarly Zalapsky, Trent Ioni, uh, Kenny Barry, Mark Habscheid, uh, uh, you know, Serge Boisvert, Wally Schreiber. It was really a no-name group. And they went into Moscow a few days before Christmas and beat that same Russian team that went three games with Gretzky, Lemieux, Howard Chuck, Coffey, Pure, and it was extraordinary. Like it was, you know, very rarely do Canadian teams go into international competitions as such a heavy underdog. That I mean, there was there was no reasonable way that that team on visiting soil could could beat the Russian team, and yet they did. It was it was it was Canada's miracle on ice, is what what I would tell you. And and trying to report from Moscow in 1987. Before the internet, when you had to book phone lines three days ahead of time, we filed our copy from the uh, Associated Press offices in the middle of a of an apartment complex on Kutuzovsky Prospect. It was a very, very challenging story to cover, but an unbelievable story to write. And, and that, to this day, that remains my favorite memory. And the players that were on that team, Claude Dillibrand, Gordy Shervin, John Burke. I mean, you know, I, I run into them all the time, and, and you know, we always go back to that that unbelievable story. It wasn't on television, right? So, it, you know, very few people were aware of it, um, but it was it was something to see. And that was it was in Luzhniki Arena, and that was the the first time since the '72 Summit Series that a Canadian team had won a game in Luzhniki. So, special memory for me and for all of the, the guys that were on that team. No doubt about it. Uh, that's an awesome story. About um, about as a kid, what sports moment stands out for you? Okay, well, I, I'm going to give you two because because I, I was a big Leafs fan, um, and I was you know I cared about hockey from the age of six on, but I have no memories of '62 or '63 Leafs championship wins, but I do remember '64 very vividly. That was the Bobby Bond year where he broke his ankle, uh, came back, uh, scored the the winning goal in overtime in game six and then they won in game seven and i remember i specifically remember the handshake line johnny bauer at 40 house and sitting there watching with my grandmother saying you know like what's going on like i didn't understand the the, the handshake line tradition at that point because i think it was eight or eight or nine and uh, my grandmother explained you know that these are the you know that you know, at the end of a competition, this is what you do. You, you know, you shake hands and, uh, you know, sportsmanship and things like that. So that, that that resonated with me and stuck with me. But the other thing I would tell you is, again, I was a Detroit Tigers fan growing up and uh, and a huge fan of, uh, of of Denny McLean. Now, you know, again, as a kid, you know, the, the various problems that he got into later in his life, sure. you know, sort of, I think, tarnished his, his, um, his legacy. 
But the year, of, you know, that, that 1968 season where we won 31 games, I mean, we would get the Detroit games on, on television where I grew up. And uh, I remember the countdown to 31. Um, I remember the World Series. You know, Mickey Lolich won the three games there. McLean, I think, was burned out. He ended up winning one game. I think it was game six. So it was a pivotal game because they were down in the series. And then Mickey Lolich came back and won game seven. But I'll tell you why I was a Denny McLean fan. Because as a kid, I, I, I had vision issues. And I wore glasses from the time I was three. And if you, and, and when I, you, you buy a bubblegum card. And Denny McLean's bubblegum card had him wearing glasses. And, and again, it's one of those things where... You know, like as a kid, he doesn't see particularly well and has, you know, heavy, heavy glasses. To see somebody succeed in professional sport at that age, wearing glasses makes you realize that such a thing is, is possible. So I became a, a big Denny McLean fan, partly because he won 31 games for the Tigers in, in six days, but partly because he, like me, wore glasses as, a, you know, in, as an athlete. I used to watch Denny McLean. I grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, and we got a lot of Detroit TV. And uh, after his playing yeah. career, he was on, I think it was WDIV or something like that. And I used to watch him mm-hmm. uh, as an analyst. So I don't remember him playing, but I remember the stories, and I remember him uh, as an analyst. This could be a hard one for you. Favorite band or artist? Because I know, uh, and we're going to talk about it in the main interview about music, but do you have a go-to favorite? Well, for me, it changes all the time. And then people people have often asked me, because I know I'm a music fan, what's your favorite song? And my, my answer is, it, it, it depends. It depends on the day. It depends on the time. You know, like I, you know, at late at night, uh, you know, when you when you want to move around, you know, like you want something hard rocking and, and that gets you moving. And, you know, first thing in the morning when you've got your cup of coffee and you're groggy, you know, I, I want to listen to ballads. So, like, you know, my favorite song depends on the time of day and it depends on the month and and sometimes I go on, uh, you know, you know, surges where you know I've got Tom Petty on for three weeks straight, and then off he comes. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask me, so so probably the best way to answer that is who have I seen live in concert more than any other artist? And and if that's my favorite artist, it would be Gordon Lightfoot, because nice. as a kid growing up in Toronto, Gordon used to play concerts at Massey Hall in in March, and he would like it would be like 10, 10 days in March. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you could, you, you would order tickets, like they, they would do mail order at Matthew Hall in those days. And so as long as you call them sometime soon after Christmas, because by then they'd set the prices for that year, you'd, you'd send in a check and you'd put in a request for the date and the tickets would come in the mail for you. And I saw him, you know, probably a dozen times, uh, there and then, you know, multiple times after that too. But I was there the, the night he debuted the wreck of the Edmonton Fitzgerald. I was in the fourth row. And I think it was, I'm, I'm going to say it was, a, it was a Thursday night, so the series probably would have started on the, on the Monday. So it probably would have been the fourth time he ever played it live. And it was just an unbelievable, moving experience because no one had heard the song, you know, and, and so nobody knew when it ended. And, um, you know, the silence for those thousand one, thousand two, thousand three, when people realized the song was over and then the place exploded. And then I went two nights later because I used to go twice. I used to go with a girlfriend one night and then I would take my sister one night. So I, I turned to my yeah. sister and I think he started with like old Dan's records and then and Breakfast with the Edmund Fitzgerald was the second song. He introduced it, explained what it was. And I said, just watch this. And the exact same thing happened. You know, like people are enthralled by this, this song. That he, and then the song ends and again, you count the beat. Silence, silence, silence. Place goes nuts. It was... It was really something, I can tell you. So. Yeah, that would uh, give... I'm just getting chills just thinking about that. When you were a kid, what was your favorite movie? 
Um, you know what? I, I, I didn't have a, a favorite movie. I probably didn't have a favorite movie until until I saw The Big Chill. You know, mm. and then you know, and and then I, you know, I watched The Big Chill constantly over and over again, and was struck by the uh, uh, by the writing, uh, by the acting, um, by the story, and. Uh, you know, again, it's, I always go back to, you know, what have you watched over and over again? And I usually, I have it on DVD. I can see it where I'm standing right now. And uh, it comes out about once a year, and, uh, you know, and I watch it uh, usually by myself. And um, so that would be, you know, that's not as a kid, but, but that would have been, uh, that would be my favorite for me. Uh, what are you watching now? Streaming, TV show, series, anything like that? What's getting you through what we're going through right now? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm watching a little bit of Netflix like everyone else. I watched uh, yeah, I watched uh, Ozark, um, and uh, and I didn't binge watch it. You know, I wanted to sort of, you know, uh, spool it out. So, uh, you know, I finally watched uh, the final episode of season three about 10 days ago, um, a show that uh, uh, that I started watching because my girlfriend likes it. Uh, Billion um, has just started up, and so two episodes in, and it's you know, a fascinating study of greed and and uh, what motivates people to, to do the things that they do. So I think it's extremely well acted, Paul Giamatti and, and Damian Lewis. But, but to, to be honest, uh, I have probably 50 DVDs of, of music, like concerts of, you know, Dire Straits, Jimmy Buffett, Warren Zevon, uh, you know, all these, you know, artists that I've been a big fan of. And, and a lot of times, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll put on a concert and I'll, I'll sit here and I'll watch, like I watched, you know, a live Dire Straits uh, a concert the other night, and it was touring in support of that uh, album that has the bug on it, and uh, and it was you know so they did five or six tracks of that. So you know I, I, I've had all these DVDs for a long time. You know you always promise yourself that you'll watch it a second time or a third time. You never do, and now there's an opportunity to do so. So I'm watching a lot of live concert replays, maybe more so than uh, than I am you know things that are streaming on television. If you could have a meal with anyone in history, who would it be? Well, that, that's a great question because, you know, you immediately start thinking about historical figures. Would right. it be Winston Churchill? Would it be somebody like that? But I'll, I'll be honest with you, it would be Warren Zevon. And uh, yeah. uh, because, I, you know, I think Warren Zevon was an unbelievable songwriter. And so as much as, I, you know, I like the music, you know, to me, people that, you know, like for me, the song, songwriters are, are the poets of our generation. Like, I'm not a big Lord Byron fan. I'm not a big Shelley fan. I'm not a big Robert Frost fan. But I am a fan of well-written pop songs. And I think that they're today's poems. And I think that Warren Zevon did it better than anyone during the period of time that he was alive. And uh, it's always been one of my regrets that I never saw him perform live because I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of, of shows. He would play the folk festival in Calgary in the summers a lot. Um, I, I would be vacationing in Ontario with my family. And so I kept missing him. And then, of course, he got ill and died very quickly. And so, uh, you know, got lots of live uh, videos of him. But, you know, think his song, the hockey song, is brilliant. The thing he co-wrote with, uh, with Mitch Album, and you can find it on YouTube anytime. Just absolutely great. Not the Tom Connors one, but a, a completely different one. Um, and and I, I, I think he's just a fascinating individual. And, uh, you know, sort of the notion of what inspires people and how... Uh, you know, how his brain works, you know, like he has a, a song where he rhymes mystics and statistics, you know, California slides into the ocean, like mystics and statistics say it will, you know, <laughs> I, I, that makes me pause. It, it's, uh, how do you do that? I, I can't do that. I, you know, I, I'm a writer, 
but I can't write like that. So I want to know what inspires people to write like that. So that's my answer, Warren Zevon. If they were to make a movie, who would you want to play you? <laughs> well, we used to have this game where, um, you know, writers at the end of the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, you know, we would always, or, or at the end of the draft, we'd always have like a big writer's dinner, you know, so 15, 16, 18, 20 of us would all go out for dinner. And I remember one time, uh, it was like, who would play you in the movie of your life? And at that time, I mean, it, it doesn't, we don't look the same anymore, but there was a period of time where, you know, like if you put my picture beside Jeff Goldblum's picture, we didn't look that, we looked a little bit alike, you know, right. and he's a bit sarcastic and he plays those type of characters. And, and I have to tell you, you know, I'm a little subversive sometimes with my humor too. So probably Jeff Goldblum would be my answer. All right. And if you had a dream foursome, you and three others for four and a half hours on a golf course, who would the three be? Yeah. Okay, so uh, first of all, I'm not a golfer, right? <laughs> I mean, I'll play like two or three times a year to be social, but it's not my thing. Sure. But if you're asking me, you know, tennis, uh, but here's what I would tell you. Okay, so I like I said, I do play golf recreationally, um, but but I, I like playing it with friends as a social thing. So like, I wouldn't pick like Tiger Woods or you know or, or famous athletes because I, I don't know that I'd want I, I'd enjoy myself playing golf with three strangers so, you know to me the social aspect of it rather than the competitive thing is the thing that would would appeal to me the most so i would probably pick either you know three friends of mine that you don't know and have never heard of uh, and that portion is easy to put together but if it was if, if i were to sort of pick three hockey players um i would take colin patterson who played here in calgary right and terry Berezan, who scored the that's the who officially scored the steve smith goal and and gordy Sherman, who played with the oilers for a while too um, you know, I, I sort of socialized with those guys in, in, in Calgary a little bit. We've kind of become friends after their careers have ended. I think they're really fine human beings and really interesting people. And so uh, so those would be the three. If, if we were to go out and play a round of golf, I would pick those three. Wonderful. The final one, your favorite vacation spot. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a, a family cottage uh, near Halliburton, Ontario. So that's real hockey country there. Uh, Basil McRae, the you know former uh, NHL player, he's on our lake. Uh, Matthew Shane close mm-hmm. by. Uh, Bernie Nichols is close by. Uh, Walt McKechnie has a restaurant in Halliburton, and uh, Glenn Sharpley's ex-wife, I guess now, owns the sporting goods store there. So that to me is God's country, and uh, um, it's, it's my favorite place on earth. So uh, my family cottage would be my answer. Wonderful. This has been. One timers with Eric DeHatchik of The Athletic you can catch his full interview at sportsandmore.ca. This has been One Timers on Sports and More, the podcast. Check out full episodes and more at www.sportsandmore.ca.